Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Welcome to Come to Where I'm From. Today's guest is Gary Lucas. Lucas is here. Hey, man. That sounds beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's one of those uh, unknown American author folk songs. Oh, yeah? As old as the hills. Older than us, probably. <laughs> Older than we are? Yeah. I wanted to jam with you. Yeah. No, we should. I mean, even on this podcast. Do are you, you another guitar here? No, I was going to sing, but are you opposed to wearing headphones? Or I am would, because that then I ha- it's, it's a reveal. It's a reveal. <laughs> I don't want to go there. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah. But uh, I kind of had designs of making a whole improvisational album on the podcast, but we can just do a podcast, we too. Do, we could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be easy, whatever you'd like to do. Well, um, it's great to have you here. I, yeah, I, you're pleasure. like uh, an incredible guitar player. I love you. your playing, man. Oh man, that's uh, not me just blowing smoke. No, I, I you're really fantastic. That. You're an innovator. And for those that don't know, Gary Lucas, you uh, you need to know. I really uh, appreciate the props, man. Oh, and I'd say the same thing about Joseph uh, here. Thank you, man. man. Joseph doing so many fresh, cool things in trying to keep popular it, music. Trying to keep it moving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So how do you keep? Uh, yeah, how do you keep it moving? How do you keep staying young and youthful uh, and like inventing and all that? I think the main thing is I'm a very restless artist. Mm-hmm. So my focus has been known to switch at the drop of a hat, depending on circumstances. Yeah. Uh, like I've done. 30 plus albums right to date most people probably don't even know them but a lot of people do a lot of people do uh you know they were just ideas that came to mind that i thought were good at the time and then i you know would put all my energy into trying to realize the project hope that it would spin some gigs yeah and then if it didn't next you know time to move on yeah but sometimes i do several at a time mm-hmm. and uh they feed off each other don't yeah, they yeah yeah i find the busier i am the better and the better the things yeah. i'm doing tend to be like no i, I think busy is good busy and, is good like yeah. if you do five if you're doing five things like that's that's good yeah like that's yeah. not scattered in my mind right Right. It's when I'm trying to do one thing that I freak out on the one thing and like well, kind of fuck it up. It's easy to get kind of like stuck in uh, the middle of working on projects. Uh, sometimes like situations arise and you're like, because of the weather, yeah, uh, <laughs> or whatever you know is driving it, and then it doesn't seem as attractive a proposition as when you went into it. Yeah. But sometimes you have to just sort of Isn't it funny keep how that happens? through a lot. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, uh, everything I've done, you know, uh, I think, or put out in the world 
at the time I thought was a really good idea. Yeah. And uh, I had high hopes for it. Often the reality principle would get in the way. Yeah. And uh, say singers would leave, or I had that happen <laughs> numerous yeah. times as a guitar player. Yeah. Uh, Collaborations are tough. Yeah, to sustain unless you're both really on the same page. But yeah. uh, even then. And time shifts. And time pe- shifts. People, so people shift. have agendas. And so. Yeah. And, and, you know, also I think like we tend to judge these things based on like, oh, it should last for 20 years. Right. And if it doesn't, like even relationships, like. It, sometimes things are meant to last for a year. Sometimes things are meant to last for two years, and it's not a failure that they only last that long. True, true. You know, one or two albums, maybe yeah. that's cool, you know? Like, yeah. it doesn't have to go on and on and on and on until, right. like, you know, you don't have to become Led Zeppelin. Exactly. You know? Although that's the ideal. Well, <laughs> the ideal, when I actually, that's funny you should mention it, because the project I did with Jeff Buckley which is right. one of the things I'm probably the best known, known for, for yeah. in the world <laughs> how that originated with Jeff was I had entered into a deal with Columbia Records right uh, but just to give a little backstory, I was an employee of the label at that point I didn't know that yeah as a an advertising copywriter that's so funny. naturally, a lot of people say, well, you know, he's not really a musician. He's really a, oh. a copywriter. But That's so funny, you being considered not really a musician. People would say all sorts of things to try and invalidate, you know, my presence you, or knock me out of the box. And Were I you just, as, like, were you as dexterous <laughs> on guitar well, then as you are now? Because that's crazy. Nobody can... I, I wasn't know. really focusing on the guitar. I had one around, but I was sort of inactive as a player. I'd done a lot of playing... Uh, before I hit New York, but in 77, when I moved to New York, it seemed like a good idea to find a steady job because I'd just gotten married. And um, yeah. Anyway, I wound up in this job, which was fun initially uh, and very easy for me as a writer to come up with like these catchy slogans, the best of which might be, for The Clash, the only group that matters Really, you came up with that? I did. That's incredible. I did, and I actually, I believed it at the time. Did you meet Joe Strummer? Yeah. I he met was, him all. He was cool, huh? Yeah. I loved them all. And uh, But then when I got into Beefheart's band, I was like, hey, wait a second, we're, we're the only group that matters. So I kind of like revised that line, I don't know. But anyway, so I toiled in the vineyards of CBS. I mean, it was pretty easy, but after 13 years, it was doing my brain in. And I felt like I'm trapped in this velvet coffin, Uh kind of, and I'm not a corporate person at all. I mean, in order to just survive there, I was smoking tons of weed weed. 24-7 on the stairwell. Gee, once Paul McCartney walked by, you know, like, there were a lot of people who went to that stairwell to... Yeah, but I've it's been I've thing. been unemployed before, and the only way I survived that was smoking copious amounts of weed. So right. it could go either way. Do you like? Do you think back now and think, oh, I was overthinking it. I should have just like played that gig for what it was, and I could have done other things. Or maybe because like like I like I think of that in terms of the music business back then. Like, you know, we didn't even want to sell our songs to movies, right. whereas not like because that was a sellout. Sure, like every, right. you you kind of like psych yourself into this concept of I'm selling out. Yeah, no. Whereas maybe you just like aren't really selling out you're just surviving i think that uh at that point that i was like well in there what i saw going on with artists who were signed to the label even artists that i liked kind of like daunting because 
it was sort of an up close and personal look at the machinery yeah. of like you know star making and yeah. this was the biggest record company in the world but nevertheless I felt like I had some kind of security with that day job right. so I just soldiered on and did it until 13 I, years huh? yeah That's but it was a, the, the last few years were really tough and I was like God I gotta step out of this music saved me there and it really came about because while I was there I did Captain Beefheart business and uh, that was also interesting I mean I don't know if and that's how you got into being playing with him or yeah, well <coughs> it's a long we got time we got time okay <laughs> we're here for no, long no, no, stories okay good 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 so <laughs> captain Beefheart, tom van vliet and actually we just had a significant anniversary sunday was the 50th anniversary of the release of his famous magnum opus trout mask replica right which i did not play on i'm on the last two Beefheart albums on Virgin, Doc at the Radar Station from 1980, and Ice Cream for Crow, 1982. And uh, how I kind of with that guy was when I was in college, I was kind of like a fan. And going even f further back to high school, how I even heard about him, I was standing on a street corner up at Syracuse University. I'm from Syracuse originally, mm -hmm, right. upstate New York. And uh, panhandling to get a nickel bag of weed or whatever, you know, right. like I didn't get enough allowance to be able to allow me to How old indulge. She's about sixteen or something. Panhandling at sixteen. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not proud of it, but there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, you know, I mean, it was no, like spare change, spare change. We were, you know, <laughs> it was like the mantra. Yeah. So either you know a nickel bag of weed or a McDonald's hamburger, either would suffice. Yeah. Preferably the weed. Right. And. uh I was a big fan of English rock at that period. Like and there who? was, like who? well, a lot of obscure bands. I mean, I loved, of course, you know, all those English rock guitarists, Yardbirds. Oh, right. And Cream and Was Fluid that like Man. Jeff Beck was in the Yeah. Up. Oh, he Are was you? my god. He's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I want to talk about him. Okay. We can, we can come back around. I want, sure. to, I want you to kick yeah. Cause, yeah. But also people like the Incredible String Band, uh, who were like psychedelic folky people uh the move a very great unsung band from birmingham uh really tuneful and 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 catchy great harmonies i like that name yeah so i was carrying for whatever reason i don't remember but the first album by the move under my arm and a kid with the longest hair of anybody i'd ever seen in my life to date down to his ass approached me and he said you know the move he recognized the the this I said, yeah, you do? And he said, yeah, I'm a DJ. It turned out I called up his radio show like the week before. He had a very great show spinning his whole record collection, which was predominantly imports from England on the psychedelic tip. Mm -hmm. And I was big on psychedelia. I guess I had taken LSD <laughs> at that point. A few, a few times. A few times. And, uh, you know, had, was a pothead. So... He was carrying an acoustic guitar case on it, written in red magic marker. It said, Captain Beefheart and his magic band. And I said, who's that? Like, who the fuck? I crazy. hadn't heard of them, you yeah. know? Like, the one album of theirs, maybe one copy had come out in Syracuse in a you know, 
Woolworths and someone had bought it or something. So yeah. I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> said, oh, that's a band my brother just Pre-internet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, remember those Woolworths days? was the internet then. Woolworths was... <laughs> you'd go to Woolworths to check out the new bin, mm-hmm. and there'd be a plethora of obscure and not so obscure. I mean, the more prominent artists would get placement in the stores right. and from the majors. But all these dodgy indie labels, like international artists, that was Rocky Erickson's label. Oh, wow. 13th Rest floor. In L- peace. Yeah. yeah. That's where you'd find the really, you know, mongrel music. Nobody, right, would, you know, know anything about unless somebody was brave enough to buy a copy. Yeah. And then it was word of mouth, you know, totally. Like, have you heard this? strange record or you got to come over to here that's how the cults got built yeah and it was a slow build there was nothing like yeah. now where everybody's can see everything online in advance and well yeah so this beefheart guy you know we went off to get high and then in the middle of my reverie i said wait a second you said your name was fred perry he introduced himself is your brother richard perry by any chance because he said my brother's produced this band in l.a and I knew Richard Perry from producing Tiny Tim's first album, mm-hmm. Now Warner's. So he lit up. He said, yeah, you know that record? I said, yeah. Now his brother went on to produce Rod Stewart and all sorts of, you know, the Pointer Sisters and Barbara Streisand. But so at he that point... mainstream. Yeah, kind of, you know, Richard. But So that's how I first heard about Beefheart. And then... I didn't actually hear anything. He didn't give me an album or nothing. I just chalked up the name, and then I saw later on in my last year in high school an album appear called Strictly Personal with a very strange cover that looked like kind of a manila envelope that, with weird stamps from Costa Rica with band members' pictures in the stamps. like, and it cool. was sort of made to look like you were getting a pornographic right <laughs> like something coming something in the mail scandalous. something scandalous so it got knocked down within a couple of weeks to a cutout and it was going for a dollar 97 nice from the list price i think of 6.98 that was what yeah. they would start at like that so i scraped that dollar 97 together and i took it home And I remember being impressed, but it was a very raw sounding, and I was used to really produced psychedelic stuff, like the Pink Floyd first album was Sid Barrett. I was more fans of the studio. That's still pretty raw, too. It is, it is, it is. But then again, you know, they were doing it with Norman Smith, who was the Beatles engineer at Abbey Road. It sounded good. It sounded good. This thing sounded like it was recorded in a garage but when I mentioned that to Beefheart he said well it was a very expensive garage yeah know, to tell you the truth I wonder if you listen to it now if it would sound good to you now compared to like some of the records that come out sure. now uh, you know sonically even just like, yeah because it's all analog and I know it, it, you know, it's got even, its charms even if it's trashy it's probably well it grew on me but yeah I did file it away it wasn't like at the top of the heap mm-hmm. later on in that year like six months later this record with a fish, a guy holding a fish over his face, appeared Trout Mask Replica. Right. Captain Beefheart. So I picked that up, and on the back it said, produced by Frank Zappa, right. who I loved. And I'd seen the mothers yeah. in my hometown. So I was like, okay, I got to get this. I'm going to give him another shot. 
So I took that home, and it sounded like the ravings of an insane, you know, a madman at first listen with a lyric sheet, but then I looked at the lyrics, and they were, like, pretty good, you know, and yeah. very playful, and they did make sense, kind of, you know, but the imagery was certainly very colorful. And then the music, which sounded like random squonk, uh, you know, and yeah. squawks, suddenly yeah, cohered and I'm like wait a second they're really playing structured music they're not improvising they're not just making it up yeah you know the first listen I wasn't sure and then after a second it was like this is like modern classical music these right. guys are really playing very complicated parts and polyrhythms and slashing guitars going at you know different velocities but it was like the gears meshing or like a mobile spinning, and everything was in a balance with Beefheart at the center. Yeah. So it, I, I was impressed. Plus, there were some really solid, aggressive rock tunes on there, sort of, you know, you could say, to hang on to. And mm -hmm. then, as a Jewish person, there was a song called Dachau Blues. And it was like, he actually has memorialized the Holocaust here. Right. This is scary. This is like, you know... This is a very deep album, you know? And yeah. So uh, I took that up to college, and when I got up there, then a second record followed up that one called Lick My Decals Off Baby, also a cutout, <coughs> by the way. But that one was like, this is even better. Now, to me, as a purist, Beefheart fan, I prefer decals. Mm -hmm. The Trout Mask is monumental. Right. I can't, you know, say anything against it. You know, it's, it's beautiful. But decals... There was something, the production was a little better. Zappa didn't produce that one, though, That's right. right. He, they fell out, They right? did, anyway. yeah. And then later I heard all these stories about Frank the monster and yeah. Don the victim, and I could tell you about that, too. I mean, but I'll save it. For In what? In any case. Save it for what? No, I'll, oh, I'll cut right to that. Uh, Years yeah. later, I got into the Beefheart inner circle. Uh-huh. How did, I, now how did how that, that happen? happen? Okay. Yeah, yeah. What? So I was a fan, and, like, you know, my friends... I had this small group of like misfits up in college. We were like the the lunatic fringe uh -huh. in my university, and the stoners, and you know how like groups sort of the jocks go their way, and yeah. the you know it's like high school in a way. It's just a little bit, you know. Now there's more. Does that ever end? No, I mean even no. Life now, is like life that. Is life is like, like that. that. I mean these like, tribes. Instagram? Are you kidding? Hey, holy shit! <laughs> Speaking of which, have you seen this show that they just rolled out on HBO called Euphoria? Have you checked? I it haven't. Out? I have. I don't want, really oh, watch TV. Okay. I'm, I'm on, I'm on yeah. YouTube self help videos all the twenty four seven. That sounds good. Sorry. And mantras and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, go well, for it. Well, what, what is that? <laughs> oh, 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 I'm only saying that. My wife is a casting director. Oh, okay. So she watches the latest this and that to like yeah. sort of spot who are the up-and-comers or the yeah. hot actors. And this is a show about teenagers today in the suburbs. I don't know where it's set, but it looked like California. Yeah. And it's like a very graphic, drug-taking, sex, you know, profligate sex they're hot, hot, you know, promoting, girl and girl and action. and, and yeah, They're promoting sex. They're trapping people with their own shame-based shame behavior. They're right. trying to make people small and afraid and locked but in their corners. But it's grim. 
It's the grimmest. It's like a grim soap opera without a point. I only saw the yeah. first episode of it, but it's like, nah. I don't know if I can go back don't to this. Don't do it, kids. Yeah. Get into meditation. Yeah, That's you know, a, that shit's a trap. You don't want to wallow in this stuff. Yo, it's no, like, they're trapping you with your desires. Right. That's what they're doing. I mean, Take I, it from some older dudes that know better. You, I know it exists. <laughs> We've made those mistakes. Who wants to wallow in a show like that unless you're totally a voyeur? And, no, 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 no. Now, who wants to like who wants to like you know fire up their desire and frustration i'd rather go on a jog i like that man <laughs> you inspiring me i'm ready to go <laughs> we'll run after this okay let's do it go back okay so the, beefheart so beefheart okay yeah. so then he came up all right <laughs> i digress speaking of beefheart yeah beefheart beefheart came up <laughs> uh, uh, where did that name come from that's a good one uh, yeah well he said zappa named him and that's a little bit apocryphal based on what's uh, apocryphal mean like a legend but that may or may not be true okay. from I love the bible word. the apocrypha it's a good, it's it's a good like, word you know it's apocryphal. a good myth he said i have a beef in my heart against humanity you know that was his he had a good breakdown That's of dope. it but zappa like in a book that. said <laughs> it's because he had a strange uncle and every who was always exposing himself when you'd walk in the house Yikes. and say Look at that! It's like a fine beef heart. Uh-oh. Talking about his genitalia. So no. Right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> anyway, Captain Beefheart, Don Van Vliet is his real name. Mm-hmm. They painter. announced their painter f- as well. Yeah, great painter. Yeah. And then he announced, or Warner's announced, the first ever show in New York. Maybe it was the first. I, I know it was the first national tour for Beefheart, with a young Ry Cooter opening solo guitar, that most people talk through unfortunately i'm a fan and then they came out it was in a little club on central park west called unganas me and my buddies probably no 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 no. we drove in we drove down there and i just had my mind rearranged by the show Mm -hmm. it was it was the best thing i'd ever seen musically and theatrically and at that point look i had seen some great rock shows what year was this? This is 1971, I believe, late January. Sweet. And a very cold, they did three nights there and packed him in. And this is, you know, I'd seen the Rolling Stones with Brian Jones, 65, and Janis Joplin, and some great Mahavishnu Orchestra in the last John year. John McLaughlin? Yeah. Was blowing minds and, you know, yeah. Roland Kirk, some great jazz. Uh-huh. This thing was just of in itself unique and a great just staggeringly different presentation of music and totally poetry original. and art totally original yeah and it was like seeing Beefheart conducting a three ring circus with mythological creatures as the acts these band members with strange names he'd given them and they were all wobbling and cavorting you around the names? well Some yeah the mascara snake no, was he there Zoothorn Rollo, his real name Bill <laughs> Harkle Road, uh, uh, <laughs> Rockhead Morton, Mark Boston is his real name. Rockhead. The yeah. real names are as good as the stage names. Yeah, <laughs> Mark yeah, Boston. Mark Boston is a good name. A guy with a name like Mark Boston changes his name. Like, know. what's going on? Hey, but it, it, but, you know, John French uh, Drumbo was known as Drumbo. He was John French, French changed his name, That's but crazy. they didn't. They were names changed by Beefheart to create these characters right right? i get it i get it they kept i mean i think among themselves they 
They still they, call they each still, other their real names. Their real names. It's like, I and, like Robert Zimmerman as much as I like Bob Dylan yeah. in terms of names. That's a great name. Yeah. So, they, this was something unleashed that was brand new energy. And I dare say people who were at that show really came away saying, that's just the pinnacle. You know, the energy was so high. Was it packed? Yeah. And you can hear it. I think there's a bootleg on YouTube. Which is, Let's check people might out. check it out. Yeah. What of the it? audio with some photos from there. How would uh, they how would they search that just real quick? I think if they you just put in Captain Beefheart Unganos U N G A N O apostrophe S nineteen seventy one. Just Unganos. Okay. A, 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 an audience tape will turn up. So and I've listened to it and, and I realized how like, you know, powerful it it, it remains. It's sort of just so it wasn't just the time. No, it wasn't my, you know, hallucination. It wasn't the, the acid. But I said to myself, I made a vow. If I ever do anything in music, I want to play with this guy. Okay. And I had a very strong will. I still How'd do. How'd you manifest that then? It took a while. But six after proselytizing the message back at my university... Uh, and telling everybody at the radio station, because I was a DJ there also, and I had a show. I, I was a, the music director, actually. You know, he came up to do another concert, this time at Yale. That's where I went. So they said, well, you have to interview him. And I'm like, really? Because <laughs> he'd been on the cover of Rolling Stone at that point. Can you believe that? I mean, in the, in those days, they really took some risks. Yeah. And uh, Sun Ra, Beefheart, Do you Miles think those Davis days will ever a, come back again? Like, they'll, they'll take hope, risks I mean, and put, art, you know, artists nice. and uh, people that aren't necessarily... Mainstream. ...popular on Instagram, on the cover of Rolling Stone. Well, we can lobby Jan Wenner and yeah. see if that does any good. But I think the unfortunate thing is the metrics of everything are just so quantified and people are looking at mm -hmm. that as, you know, like accountants would in the old days. Right. But in the old days, you see, decisions were made just By often on people's guts. Yeah, you know? culture still played a big culture role. Culture was yeah. like, this is going to be good for the culture. Yeah. We don't know, but let's take a shot. Mm -hmm. let's, that's Beefheart, for instance, today. He'd never get a deal, <laughs> not with Warner Brothers or any, no. any with anybody. I mean, maybe an indie label. Yeah. It would just be judged like we'll never shift enough units. But that's the old story. I mean, of art and commerce. Yeah, it's but Beefheart changing. was lucky. I mean, he got in there when Warner's was at that point considered a boutique label, and they had a roster of just people that the people in the labels believed in artistically and for a while gave them carte blanche hoping that it would build an audience and anyway he came up but the day before he came up i i was tasked to interview him and i have a tape in my collection somewhere but you hear me my voice is trembling like ah, you were he's nervous. supposed to have esp Oh, really? I mean, all these stories on this Rolling Rolling Stone cover story. Yeah, there's quite a mythology around him, yeah, even even now. There is, but I'll tell you, a lot of it was malarkey. He was a great self-mythologizer and bullshitter, but some of it panned out. 
And the ESP part of it, I saw a couple of times him say or do things that you'd think would smack of this, you know, although when you tell rationalists they dismiss it, you yeah, know, but there's too many rational. Rationalists people. are irrational, yeah. though. What's yeah, what's ra- right. what's rational? It's that's like right. I feel like there's a mainframe, and we're all like these cell phones out there, and there's a main tower of all human consciousness. And if you know that you can tap into the mainframe, and that's where the genius comes from, anyway. Yeah. And so he was like friends with the mainframe. He so was. Of, so of course his intuition yeah. was probably spiking a lot and I'm sure he had something known as ESP. Yes. I or, think, or shades of it. And sure. I think we all have that capability. I agree. If we're uh, op- open to it right. and sensitive. Yeah. yeah. And he, his history was unusual because his artistic gifts were recognized when he was a kid. He was sculpting animals at the Griffith Park Zoo. He was living in L.A. at that point, and a sculptor from Portugal came upon him and was so taken, he invited him on early, what they called ETV, educational TV, mm-hmm. on the UHF side of the dial, and they right. used to do those. The fuzzy side of the dial? Yeah, and uh, he had his own appearances. Their photos, he won some award for his sculptures that resulted in uh, a scholarship should he you know decide to take take him up on it and to go to Europe and study sculpture but his parents moved to the Mojave Desert with Don and uh, they were scared of the whole thing but he you know scared of what that art yeah and well he said their parent his dad said all artists are queers and that was the end of discussion. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was a, this is the 50s. We're <coughs> right. About. So, uh, and those are his words, not my intent to. to we got it. You got it. We, All right. So, we look, get I mean, it, bro. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, take that out of context. <laughs> He, yeah, exactly. Just, just put all artists are queers. Gary Lucas, Gary all queers. Yeah. <laughs> all artists are queers. Oh, God, no. That'll be the Rolling Stone no, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, one has to be careful what you say. In this day and age. Oh, my God. Because they'll be snipping. People you know, love like, the outrage. Didn't they just Bro, do some, like... Trust me, man. The White House put out a video yeah. where they slurred Nancy Pelosi to make her sound like she was drunk. I, don't, they, I don't even know. That's what I, 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 I You know. I I, Jimmy Kimmel does that every night. Does it? Okay. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're living in the outrage age. It's really... Nobody seems to get too outraged anymore. It's like business as usual, but... Yeah. Every day, I'm like... Except when Gary Lucas is involved. Yeah. Well... Gary Lucas bringing the rage. I'm keeping my head down on this one, so... (laughs) Keep that hat on. Yeah, to just... (laughs) It's a good place to hide, you know, if you tip... It goes with that my painting behind you. Oh wow! Like, so yours, yeah, fabulous. Thank you. It goes like it the does. color, like it's, it's the, great. It blends okay. right, Pardon, right. I'm like, This is ideal. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay. you're, you're like a character in the painting. I love it. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So he he showed an early, you know, evidence of gifts for music, and fortuitously, a young Frank Zappa was living in the desert also moved from Baltimore. Don came from Glendale, California. Frank came from Baltimore. And they became buddies. 
This is before either of them really put out a record. Yeah, or, and yeah. people say that Frank kind of took his thing from. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have said that Don was a very strong influence on Frank. Right. Don at one point said, oh, "This, that, this, that's all me." I started. This. So mm -hmm. you know, Frank. Frank was Frank, and uh, I know he was a great artist, and I loved his music. Right. Also. But there's a difference, and Don to me was like a big heart and just spilling More, over with generosity, yeah. bellowing out yeah. these beautiful statements. Of, More coming from the heart, maybe. Yeah, and, and Frank and more Frank from, more the, from head the head, yeah. And calculated, mm -hmm. beautiful, you know, yeah. composer. Still amazing. Amazing. But yeah. But I, they're different kind of yeah. sides of the brain, too. It's like the left it's and right. Interesting brain. you said that thing about. Don bellowing over with uh, generosity because yeah. I've heard it said before that like a, a, you know the the markings of a true artist is generosity I like think that's so. the that's the biggest uh, quality yeah. of, of a real artist is generosity. What no, do you I, think? I, I think it's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you think that comes from? I think if you're really sensitive and you do have a big heart, yeah, uh, it goes with the territory of like being able to make art and you want to share it with the world i mean there are some mm -hmm. artists who are just happy to do it for the sake of the art but i think most people at least in a popular medium like music mm -hmm. or painting want to get something back from the audience they want yeah you know to feel that they had an effect on the world and, and on people's consciousness and it's, make a living and make a living it's, it's and that's the know. tricky part is like the intersection of the art and the commerce yeah. and how to balance that out and with a guy like Don he was pretty bad as a business person whereas Frank was a lot more canny and Frank was also kind of I think because of experiences he had had uh, early in his life I know he was busted and spent time in jail for a few days for making a supposed party tape with grunts and groans and orgasms. And, about porn? Yeah, I think he was set up by the police to make a sort of really? off-color tape for a stag party. And wow. he just went in his studio with his girlfriend and, you know, grunted and groaned and faked orgasms. Oh, okay. And, yeah. But he was treated very badly. It, had a, it really scarred him, the experience of being in jail. Yeah. Even for a few days. So he was very bitter and distrustful of people. And that kind Whereas, of motivated him maybe to, like, gather power so that something like that traumatic yeah. would never happen again that's could be you got it there uh, well i think that that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing in this world oh. i mean like you know like it almost kind of goes back to what we were saying before about like oh in the early 90s or whatever back in the day it was like considered a sellout if you even gave your song but it's like you know it's like it because i used to, when i first started getting into all this i was like super art no i don't give a fuck about money this that and the other and then you know, I mean, that attitude can take you to some pretty dark places. Yes. And, and also, what it can finally do is take away your ability to make art. And once that happens, then you get motivated on that, like, Frank Zappa spending some time in jail tip, like, whereas, okay, I need to start taking care of some other things, too, and start looking at a more balanced plan for my life. Right. Because... Uh, if I want to be like a generous, hippie-loving, full-hearted artist, all that, which is great. You don't want to lose that. No. 
you also have to like let you know sort of like let the tiger out of the cage as it were or whatever however you want to put it you know and yeah. and and be and have that side of the the street covered too yeah so, um, what you say i totally understand and feel and, yeah you know, we all go through it i mean like nikola tesla like ends up <laughs> alone in a hotel room going mad horrible and say, said no to a billion dollar deal or whatever because he was like pure about like what he was up to but it's like damn dude you know like it, well, you know yeah no because we're living in the material world it's like we want it to be ideal we want it to be like spirit based and all that but like uh you know it's no. it's it's the material world it's the yin and the yang or stop looking at your phone. It's distracting. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Oh, okay. As long as you're still focused. Oh, okay. Good. No, no, no. Good. Anytime. But <laughs> I'm like, damn, bro. Is it like? Okay. Good. So at the time, I met P. At the time, I want to make sure I don't forget. I don't. I don't want him to forget to go back to Jeff Buckley. Oh, we're going to go to Jeff Buckley. We're going to Jeff Buckley. But to Come on, just but this is great because he has told the Jeff Buckley stuff a lot. Many times. But, but I mean, like, we so want much. our audience to hear the Jeff Buckley stuff, too, if you You're don't mind. If we're going to hear no. it. But, like, but you know, just this, just is real, this, this is real interesting. Well, I've this never heard this Beefheart stuff. And, and this, this is, is how I got it. And this is really, like, to some people, this Beefheart stuff is every bit as important, if not more so. Yeah. And it's less common, so... And so this is exciting. I appreciate you going into you. this. Yeah, how I got into that inner circle was I interviewed him, and my voice is trembling, and he's like, "Hello, Gary, how are you?" He had this like deep, basso profundo, rumbling voice, and he put me at ease, and I laughed, and he told jokes, and you know, he sort of, I got the sense that he was a really sensitive, caring person. And I could follow his thought patterns, which were very abstruse, Joycean even with wordplay. I play. love your words. You're, you got good good words, man. <laughs> hey, I'm the, a, well, the, so yeah, I'm hey, an yeah. English major. What? There, there, oh, is that what you studied? I did. Oh, okay. There you go. No, my basis for getting into this college was a National English Award, but I had a facility as a writer. That's all I would say. You still write? I wrote a book about working with Jeff, which you oh, could check out. Right, called "Touched by Grace: wow. My Time with Jeff Buckley." Okay, I remember that. Yeah, which I, got, is, I haven't read it, but I got to read I'll it. Send it here. To you. I was, okay. Well, I'll get it. Okay, yeah, but I'd love that too. Yeah, uh, but no, not really as a pure novel or anything. Okay, but but anyway, yeah, uh, I, I, I spend far too much time posting on Facebook. I don't know. It's like I'm on me. Instagram. Instagram. More. Everybody I, seems to switch. Yeah, switch over. Make the switch, Gary. <laughs> anyway, go back to the. Oh story yeah, so Beefheart. So, so then I met him, and he was really charming. And every time he would come to play in the vicinity of New York, I'd make a point to see him, and I would get backstage. I wrote about it once for a magazine, and uh, was a huge fan. But I never told him that I could play guitar. Secretly, you know, I was studying his stuff. Listening to his records, they're very difficult. Very were you, difficult. Now, were you were you killing at guitar then? Yeah, but I was not. Because I mean, this guy's like one of the best guitar players. Well, thank oh, you. you know that. But I was, <laughs> I, I was <laughs> like, I booked him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was 
keeping it kind of on the down low, I mean, I had some hits at Yale. Like, I played with the Yale marching band. I wasn't marching, of course. I played the electric guitar at the Yale Bowl That's with cool. a 200-watt Marshall stack and a telephone cord coming out of the guitar into the stack. That's there's photos of me hell. up there, like the theme from Shaft. Is it on the internet? They need photos I don't think they, there's no footage, but there's photos. When, when you go on Instagram, start posting those photos. I will. Yeah, I those, will. The, <laughs> <laughs> and, or maybe uh, we'll post it with this yeah, podcast. Yeah. I mean, I am on Instagram, but I don't, I'm not doing it, you know, once a day I'll try and put something up. I know okay. some people are like obsessively yeah. doing it. I do it a lot, but. Look, if you can three, gather three the tribes, day, all like power to you. I don't know. I don't have the Amanda Palmer touch yeah. to really. It's hard to cultivate that. And heard the, you know, call the herd there. and like, So, yeah. but, so finally, uh, yeah, I just like hung out with him and got tighter and tighter but i never told him i played then i invited him to come up and do be a judge at a film festival and he wrote me a letter again snail mail this was i've got this letter how sorry he was he couldn't make it he tried he failed and then uh, i lost touch with him and graduated a year later when i was home i was studying trying to study chinese it's a long story but in the interim I graduated, I had this torrid affair with this 56-year-old woman on the Upper West Side. Right. right. Uh, How old who, were you? 22. Nice. <laughs> and she really, like, <laughs> you know, I love, this was torrid. my first love. It was yeah. like, she she was very uh, wise and wonderful. No longer with us, I'm sorry to say. But anyway, we'd broken up, and my parents, as part of the way to break me up, had, like, dangled, like, you can work and the Far East for your father, you know. They didn't like the relationship. They, no, she was older than my mom, you know, yeah. and so they just frowned on the whole thing. And I was like, it's not so Kind of like a Harold and Maude vibe. Actually, we went to see that movie. That is She was big on that movie. Well, well of she course she was. She loved that movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Or The Last of Cherie by what a Collette, great, if what you know What a great movie. Yeah. Fact is, uh, so I'd made a break. And then I saw in the newspaper Frank Zappa's appearing at the Syracuse War Memorial with special guest Captain Beefheart. Wow. I'm like, how did that happen? That's really insane. Uh, the upshot of it was I went down there with a friend and then uh, saw the show. He was still great, but he'd been out of it for a couple of years. His band had broken up. He'd put these disastrous albums out. Yeah, uh, tr going commercial. Uh, it's known as the Tragic Band era, and then they left him. So he was sort of in between gigs, and here he was with Frank, but he was killing it still. All artists go through those periods, too. Uh, yeah. The great artists go through like those periods like lost in the desert of their own weirdness. I know. You know? I, know. I love those periods, too. <laughs> when, you, like, re like, when you go back to them, it's like, oh, there's actually good stuff in those periods. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. You know? So, uh, well, anyway, approach the stage. They were breaking down. There's stagehands running around. And I said, Don, and he hugged me. He recognized me, Gary, you know, I got a big bear hug. And then uh, I was so happy to have this reunion. And he said, I'm really hungry. Do you know where we can get ribs? So I said, I know a guy who operates a backyard barbecue pit in the black ghetto of Syracuse. 
It's open after midnight. We can go. Fantastic. So I drove him to this joint. I mean, you were, so you, were, you, were in a, you were in the band just at that moment, Maybe. basically. Well, he didn't know yet. Yeah. But in the middle, he started singing the blues. The guy was serving us fantastic barbecued ribs from a smoking pit in his backyard, built into the backyard, with secret sauce. It must have been one part. It looked like liquid smoke was part of the sauce. You know, it was like... All sorts of chemicals and blood, maybe, and ketchup, Tabasco sauce, and white bread. It was classic with wax paper. You mm-hmm. know, you could get chicken or ribs. We later brought Frank some chicken, and he said, or ribs. And the next day I asked him, he said, ah, oh, they were burnt. He was always kind of sour. Uh-oh. So in the middle of this, I said, Don, if you ever put your magic band back together again, I'd love a sh- chance to audition. And he went, you play the guitar, man. Why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, I didn't think I was good enough. I'm, you know, kind of a shy person. Still am. But I've overcome aspects of it. Uh, but now I think I can do it because I've studied some of your songs. And so, well, what, what are you doing Friday? I'm playing in Boston with you Frank. You must have blown his mind. When he's like, <laughs> yeah, no, he, he, he was, like, excited. So he yeah. said, bring, bring your guitar to Boston, and after the show, I'll check you out. So I went up on the Greyhound bus. This is what you got to do, you know, if you really want it. Your dreams come true. You have to, like, put a certain amount of, like, uh, effort into the realization. And you got to get on a Greyhound bus. bus and, uh, you, know, you know, from time to time. I crashed with my friend in yeah. Boston. Then we went to a show, Zappa show. Met Don in the backstage, the stage door. I went back to his hotel. And I played for him. And he said, great. Okay, you're in. I was like, okay, when do we start? Why? Well, and then he was vague. Uh, and I had a ticket to go to Taipei for this adventure of like two years, which was set up, you know, to give me something to do, to get me away from that woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, all right, well, let's stay in touch. And he was skeptical. He was like, what are you doing going there, man? You were born here. So I thought it was actually a very... You know, Astute. provincial way to look at the chance to have an overseas experience adventure, you know. But but Don he maybe was, thought you were missing an opportunity and wanted. But he you didn't for, make any clear cut offer. It was right. vague. It was you know? too vague. It was vague because I was like, "Well, when do we? I'll come and camp out on your lawn." And he was like, "Why?" He was probably thinking, "How am I going to afford to pay this kid? He lives in Syracuse. Right. The band I'm putting together is going to be based around L.A." Yeah. Which it was. It turned into... Well, anyway, so I went and had adventures and was there, acquired a Chinese girlfriend who I later married. This is how I came to my knowledge of Chinese music, which I've translated to guitar. Yeah. That's another uh, facet. Yeah, another facet. You told facet. me that when we when we yeah. met that uh, yeah. couple, like a year ago, right, you told me that story, ago. which was amazing, yeah. too. But when right. I came back from... And that's the whole story of how I came, the whole thing dissolved overnight. I don't know if you, if you want, I'll tell that story. But Sure. Okay, I put a band together known as the Bullshit Band, but in Taiwanese, the Obegon Band. Uh-huh. And it was quite good with a Chinese rhythm section, two Taiwanese kids who spoke Mandarin, myself, a guy uh, named... Uh, 
uh, Jasper Gudelius, a Swedish guy in rhythm guitar, and a harmonica player named Hank Frisch from uh, Shaker Heights. And we were... Shaker Heights, Ohio? Ohio, yeah. That's where I'm from. You kidding. Well, I'm from Akron, Ohio. The but, best. You know. Dusty Wright. <laughs> you know Dusty, I'm sure. Well, I know the name, oh, but okay. I don't know. Chrissy Hine. Well, yeah, I went to Devo. the same high school as Chrissy Hine. I know Chrissy. Yeah. Yeah. And the Black Keys. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ra- that Rachel kind of... Sweet. She was great. Devo. Devo. Guided by Voices Just Up Para the Road. Ubu. Para Ubu. Right. The list goes on and on. Ohio's the Liverpool of America. It is. Ohio yeah. is the real rocking heartbeat. It really is. Dave Hill. Dave Hill, yeah. yeah. Shout out Dave Hill. So, well, uh, let's see. So we, I got back from, uh, I mean, I, if, I'll tell it, but yeah, it's. Yeah, fast forward because it's, it's we, got so many, we got so many we, things. We got so many things to talk about. These stories go on. I called him up. I said, okay, I'm ready to play. And he this, said, Okay, so yeah. you, this is after you left. I'm back yeah. <laughs> two years later. Uh-huh. Come and see me at the Berkeley Keystone, man. I'm playing yeah. at Berkeley. So he had a band. So I said, well, I still want to play with you. I see you put this band together. He said, okay, we're going to do it. When the time is right, we're going to do it. Meanwhile, so I moved to New York, started working this gig as a copywriter, which I fell into, CBS Records in the Blacks Rock building, which I called the Death Star. No, it was just like, it was, you know, this corporate headquarters, the network was in there, the yeah. record label was in there. What street was this on? 52nd and 6th. It's the big black N.O. Saarinen building that looks like black thing rising up across from the Museum of Modern Art. Was it Bla- still there? It was, yeah. Black Rock. That's hmm. the nickname. Anyway. I was just at the MoMA. Saw the Miro show. Highly recommend. Oh, yeah. Anyway, keep going. So, uh... In 1980, 79, he said, I'm ready. We're doing a new record. I'm sending you some music. Learn uh-huh. this. Yeah. And that became a guitar solo piece called Flavor Bud Living. It's on the Dock at the Radar Station album. It came out in June of or September 80. It put me on the map as a guitarist. Yeah. I hung there. I toured with them. I played in Europe. I did some U.S. dates. Uh... I did a second record, the last Beefheart album called Ice Cream for Crow. I'm in the video. Right. You can see me cavorting in the desert in front of his paintings. What was your stage name? Gary Lucas. Although once, he said, I think Gary Lucas is hip, man. I don't have to give you another name. Once he introduced me as Gary Mantis Lucas, which was okay because... Gary Mantis Lucas. Because of my wrists, I don't know, and my hands. Got them long hands. Yeah. Yeah. Did you quit CBS when you went? Finally I, became no. Captain? What happened was I took leaves of absences because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not gonna make any money with this guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He's an artist, and he's not really gonna pay me, and there's not a lot of money. I did. I also managed him by default. That's wild. With my ex-wife Ling, this Chinese woman I imported back from Taipei via Singapore. It's another, but she was good. She did the business heavy lifting negotiations i did the pr and we got him on the cover of musician magazine and rolling stone a feature and so you gave david me, letterman you, show we did a lot oh you did letterman him. well i got him With on Beefheart? there and yeah he mentions me we didn't play on it. oh because he used the world's most dangerous band well no he didn't actually perform he oh, just he comes just out twice and talked Interesting. like paul schaefer probably would have wanted it but uh you know he was 
he was hard. You couldn't have really done much without a rehearsal with him. He wasn't that adaptable, especially with his music, right. which was quite difficult. So you kind of gave, part. but you gave you gave him a, like a new lease on life. I gave him a lot of blood, man. Yeah, you gave I him a gave new lease him on life. A lot of blood for Beefheart. I yeah. gave him a lot. Of did, and did did it end well with you and Captain? Well, yeah, Beefheart, I mean, or? listen, it did. He is a you know, we had a great uh, five years together. Mm-hmm. I got very close with him. I would be on the phone with him. Lucky for me, I had a watch line. I don't know if you know that was like free phone service at BlackRock. Everybody did. That was a perk. You could just call up your buddies all over the world. Nobody ever presented bills anywhere. Right. So people were like... The music that, business used to be pretty good, actually. The music business in, in had hindsight. a heyday. In hindsight. Know, until it, they, you know, they, yeah. got, what, they, they got wise to this. Yeah. And then they cracked down. But, yeah. So I'd be talking to him a lot. And he gave me some beautiful paintings and drawings, which I cherish and treasure. That's beautiful. Yeah, and uh, you know, I hooked up his art gallery gig. I met Julian Schnabel, the great expressionist, neo-expressionist painter. Great painter. And Julian was a Beefheart fan, and he said, I want to meet him. And I said, great, maybe he'll give us a gallery show. So I put those guys together, and it did result in Don's work being shown at some great galleries in town. And uh, yeah, so... I, I think overall, I would say it was a very good experience. It ended because I really got in there for the music. Virgin would have done a third album, but he had no stomach for it at this point. He just was burnt. He saw that it would not go anywhere. I mean, or he judged it that it wouldn't go anywhere. Maybe it was. It's that that's it just the thing. lost a fire for. I think like our expectations can psych us out. If yeah. like you let go of expectations, the world is new every fucking day. I like your attitude. I've got to be around I, this guy more than a second. I'm <laughs> because I've had to I'm de- suffering I, from the. I've same had to thing. develop this Duh. attitude. Yeah, well, it's good. And it's and healthy. I use something called Ho'oponopono that I bring up on every episode and of this podcast, that? which is I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. It's, you got to say that it, every day. It's a mantra that I use every day. I use right. it as a, um, uh, um, you know, um, and, it, and it clears, listen, it just clears that, the programming and you get into the moment great. and you stay. Because listen, we could all, especially, listen, we've been doing this for a while. Any human being can get bitter and twisted. Yeah. Any human being has justification to be bitter and twisted and to think, oh, fuck it, I've done it, I'm done trying. And it's like, listen, I've put out how many albums? I like, I mean, a million. It's like I could right. be like, oh, man, I didn't make it as much as I wanted. I could be that guy. Listen, from where I'm sitting, you made it. Yeah. You've but been I, in like some great yeah, no, situation. Absolutely. I, and I appreciate you saying that. Oh, but fuck, I'm just man. saying like, <laughs> like if you listen to the devil on your shoulder is what I should say. Because we well, all have the devil on our shoulder, listen, including me, including everybody. And if you listen to that, guy you have to actively get that guy the fuck off your shoulder and actively listen to like the higher right. calling in the moment no you're like, right every day is a gift yes. you know and it's like when you even hear stories like that it like captain beef i was like so psyched out he's like i can't even do another third record it was probably was gonna get an advance probably was gonna get you know he it didn't carry was just like i it, know but i'm just saying if you listen. like re- like you know like if you really like analyze the situation it was probably like especially compared to today's day and age where you got to kind of just like rough it out 
Like, it's probably kind of a cushy situation. But then it was considered if you don't... I remember when I first put out records, if you didn't sell, like, hundreds of thousands of records, it was considered a flop. Right. Even if you sold 50,000 records, right. it was like, oh, well, it didn't work. Didn't and work. it's like... You know, now that's like a crazy amount of records to sell. Like, so oh, yeah. it's just all perspective, sure. and it's all just like, I don't well, know, just keep you know keep the bitterness away because that shit is poison. Yeah, you know, you're right. I'm off my soapbox now. No, but it's good because yeah. what you said in that slogan, hopa hopa ho ho pono pono. Yeah, it's a it's down. a Hawaiian mantra. Okay, prayer. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive well, me. Well, reminds me, John yeah. Lennon once yeah. on an interview was asked something about like him and his relationship with Yoko uh-huh. and they said well I guess love never ha- n- love never means having to say you're sorry and he said oh no love means having to say you're sorry about 75 times a day yeah that was like what he was into yeah. it's like yeah I feel that let it know, go let yeah. it go yeah yeah so no how I ended with Don was I just I went out with him to codify whatever extant artwork he had mm-hmm in the house and make jottings down to and when you say notebook, codify what does that mean just to you know co- tabulate yeah document okay this is what he's got archive here's the size yeah. of it it's a drawing okay, okay. The ar- that, which is also stuff. like listen i'm a, I'm a yeah, painter so gets, that's a lot of work it's too. a lot of work but he got so nervous and in the middle of it a guy called from warner's because yeah, it's a painful process for an artist to go to because once you like start seeing oh, all your artwork man. and you start hating yourself and it's like this. Well, he started to. I mean, freak it happens out. every time. And I just expect it now, listen. and I just like fake my way through it. But anyway, go ahead. He, a guy called him uh, because they wanted to put the first best of Beefheart album out through mm-hmm. Warner's, and his whole attitude was, "Didn't I put enough work out, man?" Yeah, see, like, why, wrong why, why does that have to come out again? Wrong attitude, yeah, but see, Don. Would, come yeah, on, bro. Yeah, but like, no, you in know. a way, I had to. He was a super contrarian, and it was like, I know that's something in a way to like that. But you can you can be such a contrarian that you contrarian yourself well, right out the game. Out. You he, cancel yourself he did. out. He did. That's I love contrarians. Okay. I'm a contrarian. Right, but you know I love it, but. There, there's a like, fine line of contrarian g- gone fucking awry. Well, most you know? everybody who'd been very close to Don <laughs> yeah. eventually had some kind of falling out or had to just get away. And yeah. he, he would just say, man, I displace a lot of water. You know what I mean? Like wherever I go, he had an self mythologizing. Well, but he did his contrarian energy in a way. Yeah. Did clear out, you know. Yeah certain possibilities for him or people would be like well geniuses freak people the fuck out yeah you know and he was genius genius so so i just how i did it i just (laughs) i wrote him and i said look don i'm really sorry i read him a formal letter but i have to stop as manager (laughs) after five years has been great i'm honored to have worked with you but that's nice yeah i try to do it respectfully i'm gonna Send you all the business contacts. It wasn't like I was leaving him in the lurch, right? Right. And then he called me on the phone and he said, man, my whole universe is crumbling, man. What are you right. doing? And I was like, Don, I got to, you know, I just, I, gotta, I had to I get away. to my do, life. Right, to do my own stuff. And uh, yeah. I don't think I would have been able to actively get going yeah. under my name because he was one of these guys, if anybody in his band 
did anything creative in music. Uh, yeah. He'd be freaked. Like, right, right, threatened. What are you fucking around with me? Threatened, you know, my yeah. music. Or what are you, you like, All right, well, let's th- leave Don here then. Okay. Because, like, this is a good, this is a good time. It's a good jumping off No, point. it's a good jumping off point because okay. this is where you left him anyway. Right. And also, Don is such a genius. It's such a huge aura that he could usurp this whole interview and he and and it's been great no, but, i know uh, but now let's, let's go hey don minute. we love you we love you thank but, you for everything so i, I you know I, <laughs> now we're moving no, on to the next phase the next phase was i said well i got to get busy on guitar <laughs> yeah. i mean it took a and a this year is when you so. really started developing your style yeah yeah which I, which is what just year are we at? which is wonderful it's about 1984 or five about right i just gotten married and second. I started to second time, right, to a lovely English woman who I'm still with some thirty plus. Boom! Yeah, it can work. Like, artists can, work. can Artists can make love last. Yeah, it's inspiring. And she, no, she's like my rock there, Caroline Sinclair. Uh, shout out wow. to Caroline. Shout out to Caroline. Yeah. Caroline says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and anyway, she, she, she was you know very supportive. Uh, emotionally, because I was like, you know, that's what you need. That I gotta yeah, like pause is. there, because that's like the, the biggest thing. If somebody's supportive of your work and your an emotional landscape and everything like that, and they turn you on, boom, that's the trifecta yeah. that we're all looking for. And so she was like, you gotta keep going, and you know, and meanwhile I had hung on to the day job, so I had a context with some income coming in. Mm-hmm. But in that period, I started to get invites to do guest shots on people's albums like Matthew Sweet he brought me a Robert Quine cool songwriter yeah in uh, to work on a record he did called Earth mm-hmm. an English band called The Wooden Tops mm-hmm. Rollo McGinty uh, invited me to work on a record for Rough Trade right on and uh, Adrian Sherwood who's still a you know out there great guy uh, dub mixer extraordinaire with a lot of reggae artists he did lee perry's latest i did some tracks for him and i was like yeah right now i remember music used to be fun <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not like you know can be fun so then a girl out of nowhere said you ought to do a show in town and this club the knitting factory had just opened up Love it. Yeah. Michael Dorf. Uh, Michael Dorf. Michael Dorf. Now, wait. All right. So I went down to... Leonard Street. Yep. Leonard Street. And I went to... They'd probably been open six months. And my friend Tim Byrne from Syracuse, who I had produced a record for Columbia as a side project, had a show there. So I went down there and I met Michael. And he's like, I want to come up and meet you because I have an idea to do a record label maybe you the guy can shoehorn me in and I'm like hey I'm a copywriter in the creative services department but sure come on up I took him to lunch and he was like I'm a punk and I should have my label and so I liked his energy but it was Mm -hmm. like I brought it up no one knew what to make of him years later he did get a deal for a while through A&M and uh, there were a couple of albums live at the Knitting Factory my first appearance on a record under my name is on one of those. That's cool, Gary doing, Yeah. Live at the Knitting Factory. Live By the way, Knitting Michael Factory. Dorf is the uh, guy who started the City, City Winery, Winery chains. 
all over the country yeah. for those of you that don't know. So. And he loves Joseph in, Arthur, man. Well, he's been important to, uh, yeah. to to helping a lot of musicians earn a living. Has, so man. shout out to Michael no, Dorff. Right, big, big props. And My, he does those with Shlomo and, and, yeah, and that yeah. crew, like those big concerts at Carnegie Hall that are right. really wonderful, a lot of those tribute no, shows. No, no, no. Michael also toured me in Europe. There were a couple of Knitting Factory Caravan of Stars tours. I played solo, and then I worked with this silent movie, The Golem, which I just played the 30th anniversary show on Saturday night at the Metrograph near Chinatown uh, area. Mm -hmm. We took that all over Europe. So he was quite involved in the early phases of my career and gave me a place, regular gig to play there. And so, anyway, uh, I got busy. This girl said, You should do it at the knitting factory. So really to try and like uh, impress this woman, you know, <laughs> I said, I'll put a solo show together, see what happens. Mm -hmm. So I toiled getting a repertoire together. I said, I'll do a little beef heart, I'll do- uh, Looping stuff. Yeah, I got like, I had one delay pedal to start yeah. only, but it grew like, anyway, I did the I show. I love that textural stuff. Everything too, could amazing. go wrong. Yeah. They left my name out of the ad in the Village Voice. It's like, this is my debut. What the of course hell? they did. So Tuesday night in June, no one's going to come. I put some like mimeograph flyers around the club area. And lo and behold, like they had a huge crowd out the block, out the door around the block. Mm -hmm. There was a buzz on that gig. And I played it in a trance. And then I, I did a couple of encores. They handed me 600 bucks off the door. And I'm like, came home and told my wife, this is what I'm going to be concentrating on now. I was a fool. I should have been doing this when I was in my 20s. You know, mm -hmm. It was already 38 at this point. Wow. And people were skeptical, but I was like, I'm going to hit music as hard as I can now, and I'm going to play my way out of this job, you know? And I mean, still, like, again, like, that was, like, the expectations then, too, where it's like, if you were 38, oh, it's over. But it's like, nowadays, it's like, that's yeah. super young. It's I felt like, like I'm just starting out. Now, don't so. you still feel young? Well, it depends on what day you're at, what yeah. side of the bed I get out of. You look great. You don't Thank look you. a day over 40. Well, that's nice. Yeah, you look Why? I, Michael asked me. I said, I don't know. Good, it's, it's good music. Genes. It's music. It keeps probably. us young, man. It kept me young. Yeah. So, good diet? Oh, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> I noticed Criff Dogs is right around the block there. All right. We'll <laughs> no, go after. We Anyway, so I just kept it, you know, I started to hit it as hard as I could. I started yeah. appearing regularly in the club. And the next year I put together this band, Gods and Monsters. I started it all instrumental. Somebody like said, okay, I'll give you a thousand bucks to put a band together to play. Sell it, the Welcome Back to Brooklyn Festival under the Arch of Prospect Park. Uh -huh. Did that, put the first score together for a film. And then... Got invited to play, you know, in Europe. Michael took me to Europe. Things started to roll. And that's how I got in there. My first album was all live, pretty much, recorded in Holland. Holland was the first country that picked up on what I was doing Yeah. in a big way. For me, it was France. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. you have Mary Noel Dana. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. And, and Audrey Dana. They love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I just went wherever they would have me. I still yeah. do. Wherever they will have me. I just exactly. played in Transylvania Film Festival last week. Go with where the enthusiasm is. And they in were all of life. Yeah. That's good advice. You gotta you know, there's some places I might not wanna play like but 
if I didn't feel I was going into harm's way, I would probably right. agree to it. Did you make it to Japan? I played in Japan. I did a three weeks in a blues club in Roppongi. I'd love to go back there for whatever reason. I haven't connected with the right I've people. I've never gone to Japan. I can't believe They'd it. They'd love you. There. I want to go. You would I don't love know. it. I, I think they would it's, too. I feel with Japan, it's weird. Some artists are just like superstars there. Yeah. While here, they can't fill up a room. And if uh, you yeah. get in on the Japanese crowd, you're set. Well, I was rocking. I remember playing at the Tower Records. Three of them. This one was in Shibuya. They had 50 video monitors up in a wall, and I'm playing in front of it, and my image was on there. I sold a whole box of my CDs right there, you know, like the whole box from just passers-by. I thought, like, I'm going to buy this guy. See? So with Gods and Monsters, uh, though, they, they ended up, like, you, you, that, ended up, you ended up making a record that got was, like, well-received yeah. in Europe, getting five-star reviews, and then, then the record company said, hey, we're going to drop you. No, well, oh, oh, yeah, you want to hear that story. Well, this is what happened. I'm a very restless artist, so we've talked about that. We like doing different projects yeah. to keep busy. I started my solo career simultaneously. I put that Gods and Monsters group together, and the second version had singers, Matthew Sweet and Julia Hayward. So it was like a And it was a three-ring circus. It collaborative. Was, yeah. Just two uh, singers or more than... Well, and a rapper and a scratcher. There was okay. like seven people, I think, on stage at so one point. Yeah, you were like Drums, bringing in a bunch of guests, guests. Guest stars. Rotate them, like cabaret. Yeah. You know, like, now these... I just thought it was more like a show. An A&R war a bit broke out between Elektra and Columbia Records. And because I worked within CBS Records, where Columbia was... It was sort of the devil you know. Mm -hmm. It was the devil you don't know. And so I left my day job to make a record for them, but the A&R guy said, it's just got to be you and the female singer. You have to get rid of the rapper and scratcher and Matthew. Matthew was between deals anyway, so he didn't, you know, he was going so on he, to do so other stuff. So that A&R guy was trying to make it more of like a unified band. That yeah, like, like, you know, you need a consistent sound. Okay. I've had success with... He had done Cindy Lauper, this guy Rick Chertoff, right. and uh, so he—that was his vision. And then we had—I left the going into the job, and we got some advance money, and then we, you know, they encouraged us to write, and it wasn't going so well on the writing because I'd written all the everything a hundred percent before lyrics to my partner had an agenda. But I don't want to, like, disparage Julia, because she was great, too. And she, you know, I, we tried to make it work, but the, we didn't have a lot of enthusiasm in the company. And then the worst thing that could happen to an artist, our A&R guy left. Mm -hmm. Like, in the middle of this, Rick got a job at Polydor. Right, so then it's... So it was like, <laughs> hot potato, who signed this act? I don't know, they're yeah. weird, you know. We're floating around, we don't have a manager. It's like, they're just, people are not... You know, coming to the shows to see us. We're trying to develop right. the act. And uh, we're quarreling, which got back to the label. Now, my partner hated the name Gods and Monsters. I'm like, gee, Julia, you know, what do you want to call it? Goddesses and Monsters? You know, like, what right. I thought it was going to... She had her own idea. So, over petty things that you would think would be petty... There was like sort of this uh, it's falling apart, falling apart happening, 
Yeah, that's Meanwhile, because like that's because yeah. underneath all those petty things, there's deeper issues. Always, there's a lot of like ego. Yeah, music biz is tough that it's way. Tough. If you have at all a sense of your own identity, and then people are having their own personal lives and oh, their yeah. personal problems are getting on. So the label's like, okay, we're done with this. But they not yet. What happened was just to back up slightly. In the spring, after about a year and a half of being out trying to develop the project and we're not faring so well as partners. My friend Hal Wilner f rang me and said, right. Hal is a producer at Saturday Night Live for years. Shout out Hal Wilner. Yeah, and a great guy, music guy yeah. in town. Also does great tribute. Great tribute. Uh, Which is know, where I this played, story's going. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I played on some of them. Yeah. So he said, I'm doing a tribute. I did a Doc Pomus one with him once. Fabulous. Yeah, in Brooklyn. Yeah. Lou Reed. Wow. Yeah. So... Hal calls me and says, I, I'm doing a tribute to Tim Buckley. Right. And I said, I love Tim Buckley. Are you kidding? I bought yeah. his records. I played him actually on, on my radio show in, the, in college. He said, great. Well, listen, uh, why don't you and Julia to come and why don't you do this song? He, I think he suggested a song where I found the river. It's on a late Tim Buckley album. Mm -hmm. And I worked up a beautiful arrangement with her. And then he said, and by the way, his son Jeff has contacted us. I said, I didn't know he had a son. Right. Well, neither do we, but he's come forward, and I think you'd be really, you guys would be really good together. Now, this may have been generated by Jeff himself. I'm not, I never asked Hal. I got to ask him. I don't know if it was Hal's idea. But Jeff, when I met him, you know, Jeff watched our, we went down to rehearse our song the day before. St. Like Mark's the, Church? Yeah. Was no, it? it was at the Brooklyn uh, Oh. St. Anne's Church. St. Anne's Church. Okay. Beautiful old church. And they had done a lot of interesting shows, like with the reunion of Lou and John Cale. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Songs for Drella Songs Project. For Drella, and Marianne yeah. Faithful did a a season there, a concert or two. And they did a Berlin thing, too, with, oh, wow. with Lou, I think. Okay. Julian Schnabel, I think. Wow, I never, I never saw that. I think so. I'm, oh. I might be mistaken, but anyway. So I go down there, and Jeff is hiding out in a pew in the church slouched over watching us but i didn't notice him mm -hmm. we just did our run through for hal and he said okay great it's gonna be great so i'm in the next room packing up julia is gone this kid approaches me and right away i'm like this has got to be jeff buckley because he looked just like the spitting image of tim, tim yeah. but with his own look mm -hmm. he had long hair at this point and he's vibing he's flashing his eyes he's like popping his and he's like, you're Gary Lucas? What's that mean, vibing, popping his He's eye. just sort like, of like... Full of spirit? Full of spirit, like I'm on fire and like, whoa, yeah. you know, like... Lots I'm of energy. A lot of energy. So I got my attention, and then he was very complimentary. He said, I love your guitar playing. I read about you with guitar player. Yeah. I saw... Uh, and he went to GIT, right? Also, so he was like a guitar nerd. He was. And I, yeah. I, I loved you with Beefheart. I'm a Beefheart fan. Yeah. So I was very taken by that, and I said, well, great. I'm really looking forward. Why don't you come over tomorrow and we'll run through. Hal had suggested a song called The King's Chain from the Sophronia album, a very late Tim Buckley album. Beautiful song. So he showed up the next day and uh, I was prepared a loop and I handed him a mic and then he started singing and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. What a voice. What a voice. And actually at this time I'd been really thinking it's not working out with my female vocalist. 
Yeah. I want to get. Well, also when Jeff Buckley enters the picture. Also, it was like, like it's like I that's need a, a lead little, singer. That's and a little it, nutty. It's here's like the guy. one of the greatest singers ever. Yeah. Like you know, it's like so that doesn't happen every day. And I said to him, so Jeff, nobody could fault you for having some confusing ideas at that on. point. <laughs> well, what I said was Jeff. Yeah. So was that any good? He was really shy right. when we finished. I said. Are you out of your fucking mind, man? Yeah. You are a star. Yeah. That was incredible. And he was like, really? Yeah. I am? And I, yeah. Yeah, you're about to inspire Radiohead. And Listen, like, he and needed... Countless bands. That's and right, like, Coldplay. You're, you're about to inspire the way popular music goes he down, bro. He absolutely did. <laughs> yeah, he did. And you. Yeah. And, well, and and honestly, you too, dude. Thank you. I mean, you, you co-wrote a lot of those songs. Did. And those have inspired the way popular culture has gone. I mean, I, that's not that's not smoke up. We your, gotta do something, man. God I'm, damn it! Listen, that's, I'm I'm ready. All right, I'm I ready. Too. I I'm too. honest to God. I got a little project studio Great. upstairs. Okay. Let's. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that after. We this. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it because uh, you know right. we gotta inspire how where no, where right. pop culture is gonna go in 2050. Absolutely. You know what I mean. Absolutely. Anyway, so keep going. All right, with this so, story. so 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 I. I said, let's go have lunch. So I yeah. took him out to the White Horse, which they, after all these years, they- The White Horse Tavern? They, yeah. They still got that. It's still there, but they've just sold it. They've uh, got like, you know- Oh, it's going away? No, they've opened it because it's landmark. They couldn't yeah. really change the front of it, but they've put in a new kitchen and now it's like $35 entree. Oh, you know, it used whatever. to be not very good hamburgers mm -hmm. and, you know, but it was, it had a vibe. Yeah. So- you know, I, it was my local, and I loved to sit there. And we're out at a picnic table out in front. It's a beautiful spring day. Yeah. And the first thing Jeff and I started talking about is, who's your favorite group? Who do you like? You know. Uh -huh. And what so, did he say? Well, we both came up very quickly with a short list of Led Zeppelin, yeah. The Smiths, and uh, The Doors. Uh huh. All of them featuring these shamanistic singers, lead singers, and guitar heroes. Mm hmm. So I was like, you know what? I've got Boom. this band, Gods and Monsters. He said, oh, I like that name. And I, I'm like, wow, somebody else I li likes I, that I name. like that name too, by the way. Okay. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe I can get you in on this record. I'm supposed to be making this record for Columbia. And he said, I'd love to. I said, maybe you can sing on it too. And, or we could do something. I don't know. You know, yeah. like I was just testing the waters. And he was like, great. Then we went back to my apartment. And we jammed out our first song. I just had some finger-picking blues riffs. Yeah. And uh, he just grabbed the mic and he improvised a song that became Bluebird Blues. Yeah. And by God, it was like magic, you know. So yeah. I'm feeling really inspired and high from this. So... No feeling like it when a creative thing, when a I've creative collaboration like this is, has I'm finally magic. on a good path here. Right? Yeah. Because this thing with you, you know, the other, I don't want to get personal there, but it just wasn't working. Right, right. And uh, I was having a lot of tension about that. So we do the St. Anne's tribute to Tim, and it went well, and people really noticed Jeff. Yeah. And there was a photo in the Times the next day. I'm in an early edition, and I got cropped out of it. But why, why, why'd wow. they do that to me? This uh. is like my face. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, one feels often that, Things are just out of my control. I can't. I can only micromanage situations so much. Right. You gotta let go. 
Grant me the serenity to accept things I can't control. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, what is it? Desiderata. God grant me the that's serenity the to best. accept the I haven't thought about that for years, man. But that's so true. What, man. the serenity prayer? Yeah. Yeah. But isn't it also known as de desiderata? desiderata? I don't know. What's Check that out. D-E-S-I-D-E-R-A-T-A. Was like very big in the late 60s. And I yeah. think that's a line from it. Uh, where, where that is it a biblical reference? Well, it's an AA or thing. The serenity. <laughs> Maybe credit. that's what it is. Really? <laughs> Jeff right. gravitated to you and wanted to work with. He you. did. Were you ever afraid, like, oh my God, someone's gonna like steal him and like take him away? A little or? bit, but you know. Yes. Sure, I was a little proprietary about him, but God grant me the serenity to it. accept the things I cannot change, this the courage to change the things it, I can, it, and the wisdom to know the difference. There was a an album. With the M yeah. with a guy named Roscoe, who was a DJ in New York. He used to have a radio show. Black dude reading that back in the day. Well, Jeff and I, like after that show, you know, had a meeting where we got together and said, "Let's keep in touch." He was going back to LA. I was off back on to, back to GIT. Yeah. Well, I think he was, he was done with it, but he he had a <laughs> just like no just he he had a tape. <laughs> he had a tape. Of uh, get what you pay for. Well, <laughs> anyway, he had a tape of early <laughs> demos. Yeah, that he was trying to shop around L.A. and nobody was buying. Yeah, and he was bummed, but he was spending the summer trying to push him some f further. Right. So I went off because Michael had organized the Snitting Factory tour, and that was wonderful. It was like twenty shows in twenty-one days. Hopping all over Europe on planes and trains and buses, mm -hmm. missing some connections, but some great times. And uh, my first album had just come out called Skeleton at the Feast. This was Gary. Gary Lucas. Under, Gary first Lucas one under my name. Under your name. Nine, no, sorry, 90. 1990. Yeah. And it, was, it got like fantastic reviews, five stars. In, um, oh, that's the one that was getting the good Q, reviews. I think it was. Well, they all of them got pretty good reviews over the years, but yeah. this is the first album was like was fantastic. So I'm all like pumped up with this. Like, wow, I had no idea it was gonna work like this with the yeah. live stuff. But then, the, I come back and I go call up the A and R guy. And I had said before I left, I had a meeting with the head of A and R. And I told him about Jeff, and I said, and he was like, why don't you just get her to sing two songs on the record? We'll use this Buckley kid. We'll use some old demos. He just wanted it out. Like, let's get this off the plate. So it was Je so Jeff was going to participate in Gods and Monsters? Theoretically. But theoretically. it never happened. Well, Julia was like, I don't want to make a record with Jeff. She was, sorry. She so got why? very angry. She but got, so, so but, okay, here's the million-dollar question. Right. How come after after your you know White Horse Tavern moment, didn't you call Julia up and say, "Listen, love you, but this is done. Well, Goodbye." Like and 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 then the follow up question to that is, and the follow up question to that is, 
how do you regret not doing that? Not that you, you shouldn't regret anything. I just, I don't think, because but, I was the, trying to be ethical. Yeah, like that's the problem. We had sometimes a contract. It's, sometimes it's like you got to make it's, those bold. Like I know, I know, but you know, in life but, you got You can't be the nice guy. I've I've been plagued by people pleaser syndrome. You know, I just don't know if that would have worked either. Yeah, no, I don't. I think it all worked out perfectly. I think so. I mean, it yeah, just, I'm not. It, I'm not like trying to like happened, stoke but, regret, but I'm just no, trying to say like you know like is, listen. You know. I brought the subject up to her after my meeting, but see, even there, I felt like a betrayer because right. they called me in to have a meeting with the ANR guy. And then sometimes if I'd when been you a go halfway, like it's like, oh, well, we'll Jeff bring did Jeff this in to me and... later on. He had a meeting with yeah. Imago, you know, yeah. and I found out about it after the fact. And I'm like, right, how come I wasn't asked? It was the writing was on the wall then, so. right? Like because he was gonna go solo and be yeah, or they wanted thing. him solo, and I was yeah. just like a, an enabler to shoehorn him into that situation so but anyway so in a way it was like turn around which is karma kind of i feel like a, a mistake bitch. actually because the best stuff that he did was with you i love I this guy well i i mean i mean just i'm play, proud of those stuff if play, you listen to grace and mojo pin play play it play play, play some right. of that for the people like i think they'll hear it like it's not just empty words it's okay, like well. and i mean and as, and all due respect to Jeff Buckley, I, I love him. I just gave him credit for inspiring the way mo a lot of modern music went out, and it's deserved. But like, I feel like the follow-up record to Grace was a struggle for him, seemingly, and, and these guitar riffs uh, have a lot to do with what made that stuff great. I got a tuner. Oh, even better. Yeah, I got an A44. Uh, it's okay. actually tuned to 443. Cool. Or 432, my bad. Well, if you got a high E, let's hey. hear that. Let's, we'll, we'll, let's see this. There you go. When it's smiling like that, you're in tune. Oh, great. See? That one's out. Go for it. Yeah. There you go. Get it to smile. Smile. Down. Hey, folks, it's raining outside. It's causing havoc with this. Well, I just retuned that. You want me to tune it real quick? I think I got it. Almost. I know that guitar, though. I could do it real quick. Joseph? Let me do it. Be my guest. While he tunes, um, when I met you outside, you said this neighborhood has changed. You've been around these parts for almost 40 years. Yeah. Now, what, what did you love about it back then that's gone? Well... I think just specifically, there was more street life, and uh, still so amazing the emotion on these streets, though. Yeah, it's a great neighborhood. But oh, you want drop D, right? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I think it's like there were certain uh, places that are gone. That's all. What was what was one of your favorite clubs to I'm play trying to think. that's gone? The days? Knitting Factory. That was a big one. Yeah. The the old one on Leonard Street was pretty great. That was killing. And then actually, no, the original one on Houston. Oh, Houston and Mulberry. I didn't know that one. Yeah, that's where I got my start. It was a storefront. One you know, level? you played with your back to the street. You got it. You play with your back to the street. Had a big picture window on the second floor. There was a bar downstairs. It was like a railroad-shaped room with this little stage. 
But that was magical. Okay, so Mojo Pin started as an instrumental called And You Will.
Wow. So beautiful, dude. Thank you. My pleasure. Man. So that was rad, <laughs> dude. Thank you. <laughs> Super rad. How this whole thing came about with Jeff. Gary Lucas. Hey man. Yo. Big Say hey to the peeps. Thank you. Uh I came back from that tour with the Knitting Factory artist, and I called up to find out what was going on with the deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the meantime, I guess they had heard from Julia Hayward and her lawyer, who said, we have a contract. What do you mean bringing in other people? You know, like the head of A&R was like, you should use Jeff. Maybe you can use some of these demos with this guy Rolo McGinty from the right. Wooden Taps. So she had a lawyer who was like making angry Threats. sounds about it. So I called up and then the head of the A&R department would not take my call. Yeah. And they put the junior guy. That on. is how you, by the way, <laughs> I, I, let, let me interject here because I, I've been down the same exact oh, road. Man. That's how you get dropped from a label, y'all. You don't... Uh, it's a lot like <laughs> they don't tell you. They don't tell you. You're not. You. You just well, the phone. You stop getting your phone calls returned. Well, the, the, that's what happens. But then I like, I tracked down the junior like, guy. I got the junior guy. The ju Yeah. Then the, you when you start like having to track down right, the junior guy. The junior guy. It's a wrap. And like he, when you like when when the president used to like clamor to pick up your call, right, right. and then all of a sudden now you got to track down the junior <laughs> it's, guy. It's awful. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. This is horrible. <laughs> and so, you're still in <laughs> denial about it by at this point too. Oh, yeah. By the way, if oh, you're yeah, anything I can't like believe me, this is yeah, happening. you're just like, what the fuck is it? You're, it's like well, getting dumped from somebody who's just like, you know, gypsy but, fading, as they say. Yeah. yeah. So the junior guy said, well, Gary, uh, I guess you probably heard the news. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this yeah. weaselly voice. Uh -huh. but we've decided to drop the whole thing. And by the way, they, uh, at uh, that point, they know that he hasn't heard the news. They're just saying, like, that's how you hear the no, news. No, <laughs> yeah. no, I hadn't heard the news. Yeah. I said, what? <laughs> you what? Yeah. How can you do that? We have a signed contract. And uh -huh. he said, and I'll never forget this, you can't afford to sue us. Ooh, Weasley. <laughs> Which is a Weasley. fact as the far Weasley as it goes, guy, but yeah. it's like the Weasley guy. The Weasley it. guy. In a smug tone. That's such a like, Weasley guy thing to say. What a horrible thing. You know, the Weasley guy looks forward to saying things like that. Oh, yeah, That's but, the thing. Oh, he loves saying a thing like that, the Weasley guy. And then he said, maybe we can have lunch. <laughs> Oh no! So That's the other thing the Weasley guy guys, loves I'll to say. Yikes! I'll take you to lunch. Oh come on! Hey, man. your consolation prize is going to lunch with the <laughs> Weasley, Weasley guy. Paying for it? Nah. Hey. Nah. The Weasley guy will pick up the tab. <laughs> He'll tab. pick up the tab. He'll pick up the, the consolation. The, it's the consolation prize. So I got off the phone <laughs> and my wife came over and said, "What? Yeah. You? Uh, what do you? You got to get that day the job back. What are you doing? Guy. I mean, I've been out a year and a half. I know. And I said, "Wait a second. My career didn't start or stop with that girl. Boom. And it isn't going to start and stop now. And wait, I got Jeff Buckley waiting in the wings. Mm -hmm. So I rang him up, and I told him what it went down, and he said, I'll be your singer. In a high voice. He had a high-speaking voice. I'll be your singer. Like that. And really? I thought, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. But cooler sounding I'll high voice than that. I can't I'll do be it. your singer. Yeah. No, it, it, you, if you imitate it. I can't it, do it. And I don't want, look, it was, yeah. it, was a, it was music to my ears. Right. Whatever it was. Beautiful voice, whatever He had was. a beautiful voice. Yeah. So I went to bed feeling a little bit better mm -hmm. about this. God, I don't know. If I, the same 
situation befell me now what i would have done but well like that moment is important that moment that happens a lot in everybody's life across different professions is that moment of like like right when something like dies into like the new hope of a new 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 thing oh yeah it's like that's a that's an exciting eye of the tiger moment i love those moments like because it's like i'm gonna win i'm gonna prevail that's how i felt like i said i I have the talent i'm not gonna go crawling back to that day job so I, the very next day, I said, I've got to now write some songs. All we have is the Bluebird Blues. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started to just play the guitar. And it was in the tuning I used for a famous Beefheart instrumental called Evening Bell that he gave me on the piano that I worked at on guitar that's on Ice Cream for Crow. It's a drop D tuning. Mm-hmm. That was my lucky tuning. But my guitar was still in that tuning from the tour I just. That's come that up tuning from. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically normal E B G D oh, just A. Just drop the D. Drop, D. drop low low E is now a D. So you can get interesting chord shapes here, like that would be an E minor chord. Yeah. 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 So, I just started improvising. That's how. I write songs. Yeah. And then when I, I was taping myself, when I heard something that sounded magical, I hit record, taped that little bit. Yeah. So eventually I started compiling an instrumental and fine-tuning it. And there were a couple times like, well, should I go, let's try this. I had already this music. I well. I used to like smoke That's a lot so of pop and I wake up in the middle of the night yeah. and I'd hear music in my head and I'd smoke some pot and I go out and like three in the morning take that my wife Yeah, I gotta say like I'm, I canceled weed recently again. I think it's a good idea. No, I'm yeah. not pushing it. I'm, no, I'm no, off no. it 10 years. No, ago. I'm saying but like I, I was about to go pro weed on one thing uh-huh. which is weed is good for just sitting around playing guitar. Oh my God. It, and like coming unlock, up coming up with shit like that. Yeah, no, like it's like. It can unlock <laughs> stuff <laughs> musically. It definitely. It can. It definitely can. And it helped but I. I'm all, I'm for like canceling it for like when you want to push yourself in bold new creative directions like starting a podcast right. or making self-help yeah. videos on right. instagram or whatever like is kind of like take some new kind of confidence it's time to cancel weed because weed will bring in the paranoia like oh my god what oh, am yeah. i doing what, what am i, I saying oh, who, like, who am i affecting I with this i can't do anybody. this yeah. like like then weed is poison but for like kicking around and writing like jams yeah. for jeff buckley weed is probably magic so I came up with two. I, I think it was helpful. Yeah. I, I, but I've thought often, did I need it to write this? Probably not. It can, I'd like it's to a think spirit. Not. It's medicinal. Yeah. It's like what they say. Anyway, I sent him the cassette with these instrumentals through snail mail. I mean, there were no MP3s. There was no internet. There was no internet yet. I just taped him on a cassette. Said here. He got him a few days later, and he called me, and he said they're beautiful. All right, listen, I'm coming to New York, actually, in t- a week or two weeks. Yeah. He was playing the bass in a tribute. Well, it was a party band to promote a film called The Commitments. Right. But this Irish, Irish band, band that yeah. br- breaks up in a week. I remember him. Good film, Alan Parker film. It was, it was a good movie, yeah. actually. And uh, he jumped off the bus that they were driving around the U.S. on, and he came over to my apartment, and he said, okay, play that again. Okay, now... 
You know, I gave little titles to these instrumentals. One was called And You Will. That became Mojo Pin. Uh -huh. The other was called Rise Up To Be. Yeah. That became Grace. And they were like self-help titles. They were like yeah. the power of positive things. Yeah, Trying to heard, vibe them up. Yeah, know? well, and, and words, ha I've heard, I heard you say that before in another interview. And, yeah. and words do have power, and that's a great example of that. Sure. Like you imbued those songs with those powerful words, and it's like putting a magic spell on them. I tried, you know. Well, I tried true. to like, you know. But then, so he said, okay, here, just start singing. Start when I point. And uh, he left the structure alone. And... The instrumentals that I'd written gave him the riffs and the harmonic structure of these songs. The only modification was on Grace. He said, can you repeat this section? I feel there's some more lyrics that need to be here, like a verse. So I doubled one part. But that was the beauty of working with Jeff, is that he left my instrumentals alone, Yeah. fundamentally. Now, when he came to record the Grace album, he made a little bit of a change in some harmonies in the chords. And I've never learned them. I'm so stubborn. I go back and play them the way I wrote them. Mm -hmm. And I have the demos, and the demos is what got us in the door with a label called Imago that was a BMG subsidiary. They gave us enough money, like 20 grand, to That's bring awesome. Jeff to New York to write more with me. And then they said, we want a public showcase. Chenet. No, actually it was St. Anne's came back and said, we want to debut this project because they love Jeff right. and they love me at the St. Anne's Church in Brooklyn. So against, and they gave this a date, Friday the 13th, March 92, and I'm a little superstitious. I'm a lot superstitious. So I should have backed out of that one. But I rolled with it, and uh, Jeff and I wrote 12 songs after he moved to New York right around... New Year's. He was here and he was living in the East Village. Where in the East Village? Gee, I don't know, with his girlfriend Rebecca Moore, though, okay. someplace around here. And then he got his own place. Yeah. I never visited them. But he would come over to my apartment in the West Village the West on Village. a daily basis. My wife and I would cook a little bit for him or we'd make sandwiches. Nice. You know, it was, we took him under our wing to try and make him feel comfortable. You were kind of a mentor figure. Yeah, to, definitely. A father was. figure to a degree. Yes. Yeah. yes. And. I was in a, on a real like streak of writing. And so I'd written in Europe, I'd gone on another tour. And so I always, during the tour, I was like, I gotta be writing music for this project with Jeff. And so I'd compiled a bunch of instrumentals. And so we had a dozen songs. I, we, I put a band together based on the last version of Gods and Monsters. And we started to rehearse for the big showcase. And right away, Jeff got dissatisfied and said, I can't work with this guy and then the other guy. And I had to can him. And I was like, and one of them warned me, you're next, man. It was a side I had not seen with Jeff before. It was very controlling and ruthless. But he was adamant they can't play my music. Now, it was disturbing to me, but I was like, yeah, I didn't feel like he was holding the cards as the singer, and this is... Right. Something that's happened to and, me and they, often with singers is just singers it's like have their own psychologies as guitarists do too. Yeah. And uh you know, he was I thought of he it as page and plant. Yeah. And we're gonna get up there and inspire each other. Yeah. And he thought of it as the Jeff show. 
which is okay, but that wasn't my vision of the group going in. Plus, yeah. I'd already had this group operating f under different f right. formats for a couple of years. My name, yeah. Gods and Monsters. So, so anyway, we had 10 days to go. He brought in these two guys who'd been on the road with Bob Mould, and they're also fine players, mm -hmm. and uh, more on the rock tip. Mm -hmm. And they, to their credit, learned very complicated songs. Right. With a lot of time changes and key changes, tuning changes. In the space that we had, we had intensive rehearsals. We went into that Friday the 13th concert. We got a three-and-a-half-minute standing ovation from a sold-out St. Anne's Church. That's amazing. There was tension on stage. Like, Jeff didn't look at any of us. He was very nervous right. himself. But people loved it, and there was a lot of back slapping, not right. stabbing, from back people came, who came backstage, and you guys were great. But there was, like, a distance, and I felt like there's something odd and here. He had, and then the label didn't. They were, like, critical, like, oh, you know, they didn't like it. First of all, it was too loud for that church, so the acoustics sabotaged it. But I got the board tape, so you could hear Jeff clearly and my guitar clearly. Yeah. And it may not be the most balanced tape, but it sounds pretty rocking. It's a more rocking side of Jeff. They thought you than were too loud. Heard. Is that the? They didn't say you, but the whole thing was probably. In hindsight, maybe we should have done it acoustically. I mean, Jeff was playing through a Marshall with his telly. So we had a double so, guitar thing going and I'm thundering just, drums. And I'm just picking up on the narrative starts to become like, Jeff, you're getting overwhelmed by the band. Yeah, that was that was going on. Is that what and the, he felt? And it. the label was sort of well, anyway, whispering. The they just didn't. They just wanted like it to be like. Well, they just. I think he made it clear that, to them honestly. Yeah. In those meetings without me. Right. That he really didn't see a future for it, and that he wanted a solo deal, and I think that was his agenda all the way. Right. And I was in denial because yeah. that year I'd seen my project at Columbia blow up. So this was the Phoenix right. rising from the ashes. And then, oh, my God, it's going down the same road. Right. But with the singer now making the problem. So, yeah. Well, in any case, this is all hindsight. The next day, just chronologically, my wife and I are listening to the playback of the dat. And we're dancing around like, it sounds great. Even if Imago don't want this, we'll get another deal. This is awesome. The phone rings and it's Jeff. Gary, I've thought about it. I don't want to go through this anymore. And I'm like shattered. Right. So I'm in despair for a few months. I continue to try and lobby the group. We have a meeting. He's like, you stood up in front with me at one point. When Mick and Keith play, Keith always stands behind Mick. Like this was important to him. And I was like, Jeff, man, I thought we'd be like Paige and Plant. That wasn't his vision. Right. You know? So So he felt like you had or the you was served just ego, my role. E it was ego. Ego It was ego, but it was also But your ego too. Because like, you didn't yeah. want you didn't want to go into the background. Oh no. Right. Now later when I saw him with his band, which I li I liked his band, I noticed that he had him all way in the back mm -hmm. in a little huddle and they were all shoegazing. Nobody was like really looking up. He might have even said, don't look at that. And then he was over on the other side of the stage with the adoring girls. And so it was very much the Jeff show. And I thought, this was a Roseland. Damn. I would not have been happy <laughs> in this you would, band. You wouldn't have liked that. No, because, you know, 
But this is always... But actually, like, Mick and Keith, Keith does get up sure there. Sure does. I mean, it's like, hey, that's not listen. really true that it's anyway, like Keith has to stand That's what I back. recall out of this. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> we were young kids. I was older, but Jeff, yeah. you know, Jeff was 24 when this went down. It was just harsh, so... Well, and also, d- like, uh, also, you know... Just when the labels get involved, and then they're saying they oh, had their like, own opinions, th- th- and then they're coming in and saying like, but, "Hey, we think and yeah, this, no, and this know, doesn't look like well, MTV, that, and we need." Amago did you know. not want to go forward with this, but yeah. I, you know, but after, like what they should have been paying attention to is the songs y'all wrote. Yeah, together. but they didn't even know what they had, and and yeah. I brought a tape of the board tape to a final meeting with the Amago A and R woman, and she said, "I don't need to hear it. I was there." And Jeff said, what do they know anyway? They're consumers. I said, well, we got a standing ovation. He dismissed uh, that. You so. know what? I'll, I'll say this about <laughs> the modern music business. is that- The modern music business, it would be. I, I feel like, wouldn't have these kind of prejudices about like age variations and look. Like yeah, it, yeah. It's not as conservative in terms of that. But like, it was a video like, world. But then, then it yeah. was the MTV video yeah. world, and, yeah. and, and it had to be a certain thing, oh, and there yeah. was like 10 bands that made oh. it, and if you didn't fit on that trademark look or whatever, then yeah, so those kind of things, I think, infected people's thoughts and visions a lot more than they would yeah. now. I think now... I think now people would just pay attention to like, hey, what are the tunes like? And hey, if if you got a problem with, you know, Gary getting into your stage space, well then like you can talk that out and Gary can like maybe like, you know, be more stage left but, a little bit, you know, or whatever and still rock, you right. know. Split the difference maybe, uh, you know. But I was a little proud and I probably should have been more amenable and well, tried to I, I, be, I'll uh, say this. I don't think I. Th- I think that you probably were fighting a losing battle because I was. I think he'd you, already you, made up his mind. And right? I think also there was probably label voices coming into that. Well, that's too, the next so thing like, because you know. we did. I did a few shows with Jeff mm-hmm. to keep the thing going. A connection. Mm-hmm. He was my guest on four or five shows mm-hmm. in that spring, and then we did a so final show. We all remained friends, kinda. Well. I yeah, re- I yeah. I mean, w- tried to, but then yeah. I said some stupid stuff that pissed him off. And he, I, well, let's not go there. Right okay, now. we don't have to. No, we don't have to go there. That's I'm trying to be Barbara Walters over okay. here now. <laughs> but it wasn't just me. You know, he said some stuff that irritated me, so we mm-hmm. were on each other's backs. Yeah. And at the final show, this A&R guy from Columbia, who I knew as a product manager, showed up, and then the whole thing, the scheme fell into place. And Jeff was like, hello, New York. He was like grandstanding like for this guy at the show of Tramps. And I was like, it's just a duo. And what the fuck? Then I realized he'd been talking to this guy all along, Mm -hmm. even while we were technically under a contract, which he had never signed the contract with the mag. I was the only signatory. So they had no paper on him because he got a lawyer. And the lawyer said, if you sign that contract, once we try and shop your solo deal, once we ditch Gary mm-hmm. and sign this, you know, it was like an interim figure, yeah. and sign a solo deal, you may not get that deal because you might go have a matching clause mm. that the, if they come up with the same money, they, they automatically get you. Don't sign it. So he had never signed it. So at the last meeting with Imago, they were like, I only want to work with Jeff. I don't want to work with you. That was like yeah. bitter. But on the way out, you know, he was... We were still friends. How many songs wound up on Grace that you covered? Two. 
yeah. and uh, the first two. Yeah. And they stand apart because sonically, they do and stand apart. They don't sound like any of the other yeah, songs. Yeah, they really, they really do. They're, I'm not, you they're know, distinct, right? They are distinct. Yeah, it's, it's, they're they're well, sign- they're signature. They're what you right. think of when you think of Jeff. But, I, like to me, hey, but if you heard some of these, and I, and I actually songs. didn't know you wrote those riffs until you know. Until well, they we, didn't go out of their way to advertise it. Let's yeah. put it that way. I mean, if you looked at the fine print, yeah, it said I got a co-write credit. And Jeff in the special thanks gives me magical guitarness. Thanks to Gary for magical guitarness. But nowhere was it volunteered anywhere. Oh, Gary wrote these riffs. Yeah. And so often people would assume, of course, Jeff th- wrote that em. Jeff wrote them. And I remember his manager meeting him at some show later on the next year. And he said, oh, Jeff just did the show in Glastonbury. Or someplace huge. Yeah. And the mighty cheer rose up when the, he hit those, those riffs those riffs and I he mean, just looked at me made... and i was like yeah and did he tell anybody that yeah. i wrote no and what's the other one mojo pin yeah play that one i, I played a little bit of it it's, oh you already did goes... oh you played both those yeah okay yeah 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 and it's got this like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. right right yeah okay it's got yeah. a bolero thing. I mean, they're very exciting rock songs. I was trying to bring forward lessons learned from The Doors, Led and Zeppelin and the Smiths, but from Zeppelin, bring it into yeah. the 90s. You yeah. know, this was the 90s. So the original, and then I'm very proud of the other. Now, there's an album called Songs well, I, to No One and, of early and, work, right? Uh, did, did you ever hear that? Uh, no. Yeah, The Knitting Factory released some of the early demos and work tapes, some live tapes. Mm -hmm. And then there's five still that have never officially been released, one or two of which I think are right up there with Grace. Hey, do you have more riffs like that and stuff like that? Yeah. Dude, I'm I'm getting hot and bothered over here. (laughs) Wait, let's let's pick a life purpose card for you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We should do some co-writes with some of those riffs, dude. I know. You know, I got I got some vocal chops. I know you do. I, I'm like, you know, I'm on the lower end of the thing. I don't have that high, but I got That's some. That's fine. Fun. No, listen. <laughs> okay, we'll just do some. All right, let's see. Wait a minute. Life purpose. Life purpose. Yeah. Seems like we could do a week with just Gary. Oh man, yeah. Story. All right, uh, let's see now. What's it say? Well. Yoga. Yoga? Your life is enhanced by yoga, stretching and exercising. God. You got to get me on that yoga, too. Bro, I'm man. a yogi every day. Are dude. You? I go yoga to the people. I go to, like, there's a bunch of different I ones. Have I have a problem, to, though, you see. I, I, ha- I've I had, love yoga. I, dude, yoga and boxing. I need some physical. Oh, really? Dude, if, I, oh, if you want to go to yoga, I'll, go to, I'll, like, I'll motivate you because dude, I go to yoga every day. I don't have. Uh, I love it. I'm not very physical. I used to go a bit to the gym. Yeah. For like 20 minutes, just cardio. But you see, I yeah. I had an injury. I shattered my right elbow up in yeah. Montreal on a gig some yeah. in 2009. And my arm froze at yeah. an angle I could still play, which is the good news. Thank but God. it's like I lost 90 degrees of motion at the elbow. I got all yeah. this metal in the oh, joint so maybe there. Yoga I can't strip. Might be tough, man. Let me Give me another card. Okay. Mine's study. 
Reading, research, and education help you gain confidence, clarity about your career. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. I think this podcast has made me study a lot more, and which has been great. Okay, give me so. just practice. Protected. You are safe and supported while you change your career. Well, I'm going to become a happy dump truck driver. You know? I don't know. You never know. Well, but I think we have a career. Yeah, we're going to do something. Let's do something. Let's do should, something for sure. I know. Hey, Hood, what did you uh, say? I got the you don't like yours? healer. You have the spiritual gift of healing and a desire to share it with us. Wow. <laughs> no. Are we like? Are we bored of the life purpose cards? I seem to be getting the same one. I know. <laughs> it's like after a while, you gotta. Let's go. I I, I just love these decks, but that's because I'm a hippie, Gary. That's great. Oh, me too. Let's go with uh, the bottom one. Mo- mo- motivation. Yeah, motivation. All right. Oh, and then you want to wrap it? Well, Gary, we told him till one. It's almost one thirty. It? Yeah. Oh, almost one thirty. Yeah. I think we should have Gary in okay. again. Yeah. Well, yeah. once me and yeah. Gary co-write something, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do. We'll do some next year. Yeah. Gary. Yeah. Like that was great, man. And, and Fuck, thank you, dude. Josh, thank you, Josh Dorf, for connecting yeah, us. Yeah, Josh is awesome, man. Mike's yeah. brother. Yeah, Mike's oh, yeah. brother. No, Josh went on the some doors. of those knitting factory tours. They rule. He so did? he knows the madness. Well, and also this, this podcast is aiming to celebrate New York City to a degree. And you're such a New York City staple, man. So thank you for coming on. Oh, I love it. Are you kidding? This Seriously. is great, man. The Motivation Manifesto. I don't know what these cards say, Gary. <laughs> don't blame me. <laughs> don't blame me, bro. I just buy them and love them. Hey, Hoot, I'm sorry if I was a jerk to you today on this podcast. No, com- it was... Complaining uh, about Mike Stans and you being on the I, phone. Well, we need to get the new Mike Stan. Please support us on Patreon. Oh, yeah, that's a good example. Let's uh, Support us on Patreon. Come to where I'm from, uh, .com slash... Uh, yeah, Patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. Support us on Patreon because we are an independent podcast. We're going to go to L.A. and do some interviews. we got to buy a Hoot a plane ticket. Hmm. That kind of thing. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please, please support, support us. us. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. What is it? Hey, man. Success and fulfillment in life rest on the unflagging ability to get up, to be ourselves, to chase our dreams with fire each day, to keep willing ourselves to the next level of presence and performance and potential. Boom. There it is. Well, there it is. Yo, so Just I feel I like for you, it's like physical fitness and keep it, keep it moving. You know, I'm trying, and, and you are trying. Not, uh, you know, trying. I like mine for Go a for it. What's yours? All right, All right good. The great joys in life come when we are spontaneous and authentic while engaging in activities we care about. And the great miseries come when too many days stack up where we are conforming and posing while doing things we have no passion for. Wow, wow, that's heavy. That's a good one. That's a great that's one. Wow. Absolutely true. That one's a winner. I could relate to both of those, really. Mine says, wisdom is knowing who to be and what to do in a given situation. Virtue is acting on that wisdom. I think I got this one yesterday. But anyway, it's a good one, yeah. too. Fuck, dude. Cool. Excuse my French. Hey, man. Gary. Pardon my French. A you're, pleasure, You're Joe. my guy. I love you, dude. Hey, love you Thank too. you so much, hey. dude. And, and oh, sorry. I didn't mean to shake no, it. Oh, no, I, I know. <laughs> so, like, That's injured. good. Like, That's I was good. excited about the whole thing, and I appreciate it. My grip is still strong, Sorry if I hurt man. you. Not at all. Ehud, thank you. Sorry about complaining. You know. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching Come to Where I'm From. Thanks for tuning in. 
they're getting we're getting better and better all the time so uh god bless hey what are your social media things you want to promote anything okay i'm on facebook yeah. and i'm on uh, instagram i'm on twitter gary, gary him, lucas handle gary lucas uh on twitter it's Wyndham lewis i think is my twitter handle mm-hmm. facebook you'll find me i got a fan page and gary a normal lucas. page gary lucas and Instagram, I don't know, but you'll find it. You'll find it. You'll see it, it cuz I'm I got a hat on and whatever yeah, graphics and a guitar got. and he's yeah. doing. dates coming up, Gary? Well, I'm playing this week though the, by the time this goes out, I'm sure it's not going to be relevant. I'm at uh the uh Make Music New York Festival this Friday out at the Joe's Pub outdoor stage. Oh cool. By the Cube. When with is that? a Chinese project. This Friday, it's June 21st, summer solstice. Maybe I'll come out to yeah, that. Yeah, man. Come at 5 yeah. o'clock. We've got to exchange uh, numbers. And sure. Stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm doing the uh, Joe's o'clock. Pub hit uh, with a great trio doing Chinese pop music from the 1930s and also things like Dylan and Leonard Cohen songs in Mandarin Chinese. I mean. Sung by Fei Fei Yang and Jason Candler is playing saxophone. It's a trio. And... Uh, then uh, I'm waiting for some dates in Italy to manifest. I did a record of my the complete Jeff Buckley, Gary Lucas songbook uh-huh. with some Italian dude, a singer named The Nero, David Combusti, uh, who goes by the name The Nero, N-I-R-O. The Nero. doesn't mean anything. I thought, is that like Robert De Niro? De Niro, what that's that? what I was no, saying. No, it's De not Niro. The Nero. It's no, it's The, the Nero. Nero. The Nero? That doesn't really mean anything. The Nero. Francesco the Arpino. Nero. <laughs> so that's coming out. I finished a couple of Chinese albums, but we'll see. My new stage name is Facino. Pacino? Oh, that's good. No, Facino. Facino. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've got a best uh, of that's supposed <laughs> to be out in September, too, on the okay. Knitting Factory label. Oh, killer. A double. Right on. Just to try and, you know, put I put a 30-some albums out. And so this is, I couldn't tell you what the best cuts are, but I thought these were good ones. And uh, so that there's some rarities on there. Cool, man. Yeah. I'm trying, right. man. Well, that's a wrap, Every man. Day, you're you're succeeding. Lucas. Gary uh, Lucas. I love you. Thanks, y'all. All right. Man. Love you too, brother. Same, man. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Patreon.com slash Come to Where I'm From. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.